0: Hello there and welcome to the Month in VC, our regular podcast on all things African venture capital. Each month we catch you up in all the latest funds and investments news, introduce you to investors and discuss key themes and trends from the industry.
1: We do that alongside key partners who lend their expertise to help us better understand the growing African venture capital space. Many thanks to Catapult Africa, Kalon Venture Partners, Hulai Sani Capital and ARM Labs Lagos Textiles Accelerator for making this series possible.
0: We hope you enjoy this latest episode, and as ever, if you have any suggestions for topics or want to get involved yourself, please don't hesitate to reach out. For now, let's catch up on all the latest funding news from the last month.
1: Q2, the same as Q1, represented a drastic downturn in funding for African tech ventures compared to the same periods last year. The first six months of 2023, in fact, saw total funding decline to a little over $1 billion from just over $2 billion in H2 of last year, meaning investment has declined by half. The reset is real, but that doesn't mean June didn't bring some good news.
0: Much of that came from Nigeria. eHealth startup Helium Health raised $30 million in Series B funding to help it expand the reach of its fintech product Helium Credit, while Helium Health takes hospitals and clinics digital with its flagship electronic medical record systems. Helium Credit provides hospitals, clinics, pharmacies and diagnostic centres with loans to purchase medical equipment and medication, as well as to facilitate business expansion.
1: Over $3.5 million in loans have so far been dispersed to about 200 healthcare facilities through the service, and it's now set for expansion after Helium Health banked $30 million in a Series B funding round led by AXA IM Alts, with participation from the likes of Capria Ventures and Gaza Capital, Flatworld Partners, Global Ventures and Tencent.
0: The round, which takes Helium Health's total investment to date to over $40 million following a $10 million Series A in 2020, will be utilised to launch Helium Credit in Kenya this year, as well as increase its lending portfolio to 1,000 healthcare facilities by 2024.
1: Helium wasn't the only Nigerian tech company on the fundraising trail. Electronics Marketplace Easy banked $3.7 million in seed funding to help its team, its tech, and to expand into new markets, while logistics startup Hall 247 – Raised a 3 million seed to grow its market share at home and expand across Africa.
0: In South Africa, meanwhile, energy and fintech company Yellow raised a $14 million Series B, and e health venture Zoe secured pre seed investment. Kenya's Peach Cars, a car marketplace, raised $5 million in funding, while Nairobi based climate tech company Amini secured $2 million. Kenyan e commerce startup Tapi, meanwhile, was selected for SOSV's Orbit Startups program, banking $180,000.
1: Staying in Kenya, the Baobab Network, a Nairobi-based accelerator that invests in early-stage tech companies across Africa, announced its latest cohort of five investees, each of which secured $50,000 in funding. They're Kenya's Afragility, Togo's EasyChain, Nigeria's ePoultry, Guinea's MuduPay and Morocco's Collie.
0: June also saw rounds for Ghana's Mazuma, Ethiopia's Cubic, Egyptian fintech Agal and Moroccan HealthTech data pathology while 25 African startups were selected to receive grants from the $4 million Google for Startups Black Founders Fund.
1: In funds news, Seedstar's capital and foundation Botnar have announced the launch of the Seedstar's youth wellbeing ventures mandate, intending to invest $20 million in early-stage purpose-driven companies, aiming to improve the well-being of young people in lower-middle-income countries across the continent.
0: Meanwhile, Convergence Partners Investments, the South African deep tech investor launched in 2003, announced it is rebranded to Solcon Capital as it launches a big push to empower global deep tech growth through platform economics. And Egypt's Acacia Ventures, until recently known as Cairo Angels, has established a Lagos office as it begins its continental
1: expansion. VC news not directly related to the funded or the funds saw African venture capital talent network Dream VC, select 54 fellows from 22 countries into the 2023 cohort of its flagship VC accelerator programme, which helps current and aspiring investors to break into the African venture space. And here at Disrupt Africa, as you might have heard in our last podcast and on other channels, we recently released a groundbreaking report that detailed gender diversity within the African tech and investment ecosystem. More on that later.
0: In each episode of The Month in VC, we focus on one individual Africa-focused investor, learning about their background, their company, and their investment ethos. This month, we caught up with Basil Mofta, general partner at Include, a fintech fund based out of Egypt that supports early and growth stage entrepreneurs tackling issues around financial inclusion. That's what he does now, but in fact, he was right there at the beginning of Internet 1.0.
2: My background is, well, it starts in venture capital. In 1997, I joined the Greenhouse Fund out in London. Um, it was a fund that was part of the Reuters group, but a CVC that acted on their behalf, um, pretty much trying to figure out what this whole internet thing was going to be, because that was Internet 1.0, if you remember. We worked on some exciting deals like Yahoo, Netscape, Verisign, WebEx. I wish I could take credit for them, but I was just a junior analyst and associate, so my job was to take, you know, take what's coming in and learn from it and give my recommendations. But the partners were the ones who ultimately made the decision. But it was very exciting to get into VC so early on in the internet times, especially with such great companies that had a significant return.
1: After that, Basil went and did his MBA at Harvard before returning to Reuters, but in an operating capacity, running a bunch of different businesses around the world. He ran emerging markets out of Dubai and ended up running the intellectual property and science business from
2: Washington. And then I left in 2016 and came back to Dubai, closer to home, I guess, since I'm Egyptian. Um, But we love Dubai, love living here as a family. I have two kids and uh, a few animals. I guess we have like six cats and dogs, if you can imagine that. Uh, so it's a zoo in here. Uh, if you hear something barking in the background, I apologize. But nonetheless, um, I decided to get back into venture, joined a wonderful lady named Norse Swede, who built something called Global Ventures. I was the second GP, did fund one and fund two with her. Super exciting. We were kind of picking up on the wave of, in, of technology in the Middle East, which was lagging, let's say, the rest of the world, uh, but nonetheless catching up very, very quickly. And then in 20, when was it? 2021, I guess, started working on this idea of include, which is a financial inclusion investment platform for uh, Egypt and Africa.
0: Include looks at financial inclusion startups either based in Egypt or businesses from the Gulf or Africa that are looking to expand into Egypt.
2: Egypt, as you may know, has one of the lowest numbers in terms of banking penetration. There's still a very low number of people who have access to credit, whether that's individuals or businesses, um, a very large unbanked population. So, this is a really concentrated effort sponsored by the Central Bank of Egypt and kind of backed by the big banks of of Egypt to really drive people into uh, financial inclusion, if you like. Um, Giving them access to credit, teaching them how to use mobile wallets, online banking. We look a lot at consumer lending and a lot at SME lending as part of our portfolio, but as well as payments, savings, investment, applications, the whole breadth um, of anything to do with fintech. One of the interesting ways, though, that we've discovered that fintech really gets into the system is through supply chain financing. So we look at a lot of businesses, SMEs who don't have access to credit from banks, but they can get access through using online tools to make orders and eventually build up a profile with those companies, those marketplaces where they can then borrow and and finance their working capital. We find that very interesting as well.
1: Include has six LPs, but they're big ones. And the fund sweet spot is pre-Series A and Series A.
2: So this is uh, about a hundred million dollar fund. It's got the Bank Mestra, National Bank of Egypt, Bank UK. These are the three state-owned banks. We also have from Egypt e-finance and EBC. And then we have MasterCard Global out of New York also uh, in this fund. So those are, are the are the six LPs making up the 105 million of committed capital thus far. We invest tickets anywhere between 500k and up to 5 million initial tickets we can then obviously do more in follow-ons with a maximum of like 15 million or 15 percent of the fund in any one company Um, so we're looking at anything from seed to series b frankly Um, i would say the sweet spot you know remains pre-series a and series a predominantly given where the market is at and what has it done investment-wise so
0: far and are there any standouts
2: well the fund is a year old we've made eight investments thus far so we've kept a pretty good pace we've invested in you know Paymob Mozera Lucky Khazna uh, Grenta, One Order uh, Flapcap and Partment so that's the portfolio um, it's such a wide variety that it's hard to say which one's a stand out i think Paymob there's always a favorite for me because I've been investing in this company through my previous funds, Global Ventures, and then with Include. So I've I've known them for a very long time. They're now expanding across the region. So into Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, UAE, Oman, lots of great announcements lately, licenses acquired, partnerships, new deals. So they're really on a, on a fast track. I also like HSN a lot. I think it's a superb management team that is really um, building one you know a formidable platform in consumer finance and Lucky uh, which is more of a buy now pay later uh, but also coming in with you know discounts and cashback opportunities for consumers via their merchants.
1: Those three Basil says really stand out on the fintech side. But he also mentions one order, a supply chain financing solution for hotels and
2: restaurants. They supply them with, you know, raw materials like food and and meat and chicken and all of that stuff. But the the really interesting part is, as we collect the data, we can then provide this SME lending, right? Providing them credit and credit facilities, and they've been doing exceptionally well. They've grown really, really, really fast in their first year of operation.
0: All great companies, by the sounds of it, and growing fast but how is include advising its portfolio companies to best cope with the global reset and the likely shortage of vc funding going forward
2: yeah they're smart guys on their own so i would say as investors we've definitely been vocal about that but but i but all of the entrepreneurs across this portfolio are many of them are second time entrepreneurs, endeavor entrepreneurs, so they have really good access and networks, and they got the they got the memo really early on. So you know cash preservation is definitely a priority smartly though, right? It's about you know really trimming fat, making sure you're a lean company, uh, investing only in the things that really have a good return on investment. Uh, And so on, but we're not looking to stop these companies from growing. Most of them are doing triple digit growth over a hundred percent, you know, per annum. Um, and that's worth investing in. So it's just about being smart and making sure that when they come to raise again, they are in a very strong position vis a vis their competitors. And being able to, you know, beat the market, if that's the right expression, in terms of making investors want them, uh, since they're standout investments. So that's what we're discussing. So far, I would say the majority, if not all of them, have figured out different plans. A lot of it's about regional expansion so being in multiple countries some of them are looking at mA with weaker players just kind of folding them in that allow them to geographically or product expand faster so we see a lot of opportunity but the key is in this great correction or whatever we're in um, to make sure that you are the standout investment in your region and and I think we have a great portfolio
1: aside from advising on the future path to growth include is a very active VC. Though the level of activity does
2: depend on the company in question and its role in the investment, I think more importantly is to really understand the mindset of the entrepreneur and to partner with them. Um, Where I think include is blessed to have some very good entrepreneurs, and and I don't say that lightly. This is my fifth fund in my career, so I've met a lot of entrepreneurs, and I and and I guess I'm biased to to the last batch here that I know and I've gotten to know and worked with, but they are. They're smart folks who just need the the support and the guidance and the introductions that they don't necessarily have all the time to make on their own.
0: The Include fund is worth $100 million, and so far it has only invested a quarter of it. But Basil says it is taking a bit of a breather in the current macroeconomic climate.
2: So this year has been a lot about supporting our current portfolio, doing follow-on and bridge investments where necessary, investing in regional growth and market expansion, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, We are looking at some new investments, but much more earlier stage. It's easier to do earlier stage because it's not really about the valuation at that point. It's more about the team and whether this idea will be successful or not. And whether the company is valued at two million or three or four or whatever the number might be, that's not really the biggest thing you're worried about at that point. You're more worried about, is this idea going to be successful? Um, I think it's really hard for later stage investors to put a valuation these days and, and, you know, and, and all the power to them in, in figuring it out in this current market.
1: He says the problem with most VCs is that they're optimists and so want to think things are going to get better in a quarter or two.
2: the experience tells me from you know the time of the dot com crash back in 2000 2001 or whether the 2008 2009 crisis banking crisis or global banking crisis I should say these recovery cycles are usually longer than one than one thinks and this one has been particularly challenging and and has and still has ongoing challenges like in global inflation um, so the answer to your question is I'm hopeful, but I don't think we're going to see recovery for at least another 12 or 24 months for that matter. Um, there will be some green shoots like AI and then the craze that happened about AI somewhat shocking, frankly, to see how fast, um, those valuations of those companies have gone. But I don't think we should be, um, thinking of that as recovery rather than, you know, people being opportunistic in around new technologies that may have matured, if you like, or may have come into fruition.
0: Another year then, says Basil, and he believes that is the right mindset to have. Earlier, then everyone is happy. But if we want to manage and invest in companies successfully, then we need to think along these lines. The correction, nonetheless, is generally healthy, like pruning a tree if we want to use one of the many available metaphors.
2: When capital is a little bit harder, it... it it makes for stronger companies. Only the the best survive, as opposed to you know a lot of fluff and maybe a lot of hype that doesn't yield much results. Uh, and by results, I mean you know EBITDA and 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 cash flow positive. The, you know eventually companies do have to produce a margin. Even the biggest and the greatest have have had to do, have had to do that.
1: There remain in the technology scene three broader opportunities, however.
2: One is to go into markets where the technology is not yet there. So let's call it digitization. While the majority of people in the U.S. and Europe are used to doing digital payments, being able to access online banking and have access to, let's say, broadly access to credit, right? Not everybody does, but broadly access to credit. The, the numbers are, are horrific in emerging markets, Egypt being just an example of that. Uh, less than 20% have debit cards, less than 10% have credit. I can go on and on and on. So those opportunities, I call them simply catch-up opportunities, right? Where in emerging markets, what we're trying to do is bring the technology to the consumers who haven't had a chance to access that yet. And I think that's a good opportunity. It's, it's a low-hanging opportunity, will create great returns, and is somewhat predictable. It depends on execution.
0: The second type of opportunities are financially driven ones, where bigger players are looking at consolidating, rolling up assets across countries, M&A opportunities to be short.
2: I have a feeling over the next period, we're going to see a lot of private equity, um, you know, slash strategic acquisitions happening all across the board. And already, if you follow the news, you'll see all sorts of, of of news about, you know, M&A is happening. I think that will just keep accelerating. Surely that creates money if because otherwise they wouldn't or creates value, I should say, for shareholders. Otherwise, that wouldn't have been happening or shouldn't be happening. Um, but I think that's your second bucket. The third opportunity, Basil
1: says, is new technologies like AI, VR, and whatever's next. New fads will emerge, and the right buyers will be able to capture value if they know what they're doing.
2: The world of tech has definitely gone beyond the hype cycle now. This is now a mature industry where everybody in every boardroom talks about it. And either you sit in in one of these three buckets, bringing existing technologies to new markets like emerging markets, um, rolling up technologies... Or third, going after uh, you know the latest and greatest AI or whatever uh, the fad might be at that point. Those are your three opportunities at this point.
0: Serious wisdom there from Basil, who has been learning about investing in tech startups since the Silicon Valley boom, through the Africa boom, and now beyond. Yet in all of these ecosystems, gender diversity is becoming, rightly, a serious issue. We don't want the Silicon Valley tech bros to become the Silicon Savannah tech bros.
1: Recently, Disrupt Africa released the first ever publication focused on gender equality in the African tech startup landscape, in partnership with Africa Focus pre-seed investment program Madica with the results demonstrating the lack of diversity both within startup teams and funding rounds on the continent. Let's dig into the results.
0: Some of the figures were quite staggering, but in some ways unsurprising. Of the almost 2,500 African tech startups studied for the purpose of the report, only 14.6% had a female co-founder and just 9.6% were led by a female CEO. The report also includes survey data where female founders have spoken directly about their experiences within the ecosystem, as well as personalised case studies.
1: From a funding perspective, the report analysed 711 African tech startups that secured funding in 2022 and so far in 2023. Of those, just 21% had at least one female co-founder, while only 11.7% had a female CEO. Of the just over $4 billion raised by ventures in the period in question, only 9.1% went to companies co-founded by a woman, and just 2.9% went to startups with a female CEO or equivalent. Here's Brett Komile from Hlai Sani Capital on what he sees as a pipeline problem in African tech.
3: It's definitely our experience that there are fewer female tech entrepreneurs than, uh, than male ones. We can only speak for our sector, but women are certainly underrepresented. You know the the senior teams of companies we see are more balanced. So you know it's usually the the founders um, and sort of CEOs are very often male, and uh, within the team you'll then see uh, a slightly more balanced leadership. Um, but you know still the the majority uh, male in in what we've encountered. I think when you look at the rest of Africa, um, the studies show that there are many uh, female entrepreneurs running small businesses, um, and, you know, focused on earning a livelihood. Um, and in fact, the majority are female. But the moment that you move this across into the kind of tech sector and in the high growth tech space, um, that number changes dramatically.
0: So why, in general, are there not more women in tech? This is Oyin Shalebo from Techstars.
4: I think the first thing is really around STEM training for girls. I think when you look at the number of or the percentage of uh, women that go into STEM training and sciences, et cetera, versus men, it is still considerably lower. So in sub-Saharan Africa, something like 18 to 30% of science researchers are women compared to almost 50% in Southeast Europe and and even the Caribbean. So there's just a real shortage of women going into tech. And obviously it makes sense that um, you have technical co-founders when you're running a tech business. I also speak to a number of VCs and they're quite honest in saying that they have a preference for co-founding teams where there is, um, where they are technical because they believe that that is a an indicator that they're more likely to succeed. So I think I think STEM education is part of it. Obviously,
1: perceived or real roles in the home also play a role. She says.
4: I think a second area is just around social pressure and the expectations of women. I think women all across the world, but in particular in Africa have a disproportionate role in the home. We continue to be the primary caregiver, um, but we also continue continue to have more pressure in terms of the responsibilities at home. And that doesn't really bode well for being an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is really tough. It's really rigorous. It's a 24-7 type of job. Weekends don't matter. Um, So when you have that kind of environment for females, it's very difficult to make the decision to become an entrepreneur. I think as an entrepreneur, if you have a life outside of work, you also really need the support of those around you.
0: Male participation is also needed in work life, not just family life.
4: I think for female CEOs and female leaders to succeed, the men that work for them need to be really strong advocates for them. And again, this is something that I witnessed at. Uh, during our last program we had six female CEOs um and one of the things that most impressed me was how much of an advocate their male CTOs or COOs were for them how willing they were and how um how, how how much effort they took to really push their female CEOs forward, to make sure they took up space, to make sure that they took up, um, took up positions where perhaps they may have been expected to because they were the male counterparts. Um, and I think that level of support and that level of advocacy can really
1: contribute towards bringing more women in tech. Yet the reasons why women get less funding may be different to why there are fewer female entrepreneurs, Oyen says.
4: I think when it comes to why we don't get more funding, there's perhaps, um, I put it maybe into two buckets, I think there's maybe a bucket of perhaps us trying less to get funding and before anyone shoots me, I'm going to explain what I mean, Um, and also the the aspect of when we do try, we're more likely to not succeed. So in that first bucket of the question of are we trying as much, um, I say this because If I, for example, if I go into my LinkedIn today and I look at the last 10 people that have requested to connect with me, I guarantee you nine of them will be men. Um, I think that for women, because of all of the social pressures that I have explained um, pressures of the home, knowing that we're probably more like more likely to not get the funding that we ask for um, it creates it creates an increased sense of failure that means that we just we don't step up as much as we do as much as we should. I think there's research that comes from Harvard that shows that When a woman gets negative feedback, it takes a heavier toll on them than it does for a man. And then at the same time, positive feedback has less of an empowering effect on us. And I think that popular media in the world is littered with men who fail upwards consistently But when women fail, we're more stigmatized. So I think it's harder for us to take a step where we know that the likelihood is, because in reality, you're going to get more investors saying no than you are yes. So it's harder for us, I think, to step up. Um, I think that women also deselect sometimes because they don't believe they're ready. And I think to be a a good CEO, it, it requires this weird combination of like unbelievable or audacious (laughs) self-belief, but also a level of humility to take feedback and know what you don't know. Um, And I think women have the latter, but in terms of that audacious self-belief, it's harder for us to have it because of all of these societal reasons that I've mentioned. So I meet women all the time, entrepreneurs, CEOs, who will say, hi, my name is XYZ. I'm the founder of XYZ. I'll be applying to your next program. And then they'll walk away. And I have to call them back and say, if you were a man, by the end of this conversation, you would have told me about your startup. You would have gotten my email address. You would have connected with me on LinkedIn. You would have sent me your pitch deck. And I say to them, why have you not done all of this? And they say, well, I don't know if I'm ready. And what I find is that the women's CEO's have been working generally working on their businesses for longer <laughs> than the average man, but they still don't think they're ready. So I think, again, it's about us perhaps trying less because society tells us that we're more likely to fail.
0: The funding figures say that they are more likely to fail, though, if it is investment that your company needs to scale. Though Oyen says the challenge can often be the assumption that you are going to fail.
4: The challenge which isn't acceptable is the, often the assumption of competence That comes with female CEOs. I've spoken to a number of female CEOs who tell me that sometimes when they enter a room, they'll allow their male colleagues to speak first or to speak up and almost give the impression that they are leading because they know that the impression or the assumption is that they are going to be less competent than their male counterparts. There's research to suggest that when women pitch in front of VCs, the kind of questions they get really are testing their competence, whereas when a man comes into the room, he's more likely to be given like the grace to assume that, OK, he's he's got something to say. So the types of questions that we get from VCs when we are trying to get funding are different to the conversations that all the questions that a man gets. I think naturally there's probably a bias also. If, if you have more men VCs, they are probably going to be more biased to people that they better relate with. And that's more likely to be a man. So that not only affects women, but it affects African founders and it affects local African founders who don't have international credentials or don't sound like me. So there's a, you know, there's a bias again about whether or not they're competent. So how do we change the narrative? Here's Brett.
3: I've seen a greater focus by funders to address this. And, uh, we've seen uh, female-focused funds. We've seen a whole lot of uh, you know, funds that have, have come out with very clear mandates trying to directly um, uh, address it. But we'll, we'll, you know, the one thing that we do know is that uh, a better representation of women in a, in a business makes for a better business, makes for more resilient decisions, makes for better quality decisions. Um, and that goes very much in, in all aspects, both from a, you know, an age perspective, a race, a, um, a cultural perspective. You need a variety within your management team.
0: Basil agrees having a woman managing the VC fund certainly helps.
2: In the previous portfolios we constructed at global ventures, we had about twenty five percent of our founders female um, and i and and i I say that as a sense of it wasn't done intentionally, but it was the outcome of being very uh, very open minded in our in our in our research about investments to look at all sorts of types of companies and not necessarily go one way or the other. But I can't help but think that when you have uh, a, a female uh, a managing partner of the firm, it also helps. Um, you know, and, 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 and I wonder whether the challenge is on the supply of female founders, i.e., are there enough? in the system? Um, or is it about the demand, meaning having the open-mindedness at the VC side to understand how to invest in female-led businesses? And I guess the answer, as we all know, it's a little bit of both. Um, and the answer comes in, in, in different, in, at different stages, at different levels. I've seen, and I've attended a lot of accelerator programs lately, where there are a good cohort of female founders who are trying to incubate their businesses but there is definitely challenges that they face to get their first set of round of funding, and to be supported. Um, and so it does lead some questions around the VC side: Are we are we open minded enough? Are we are we doing our effort to to think about investing in, in female led uh, businesses? If for nothing else, that they will capture different segments and different parts of the market through their you know their own knowledge and and, and expertise.
0: Serious food for thought there on funding figures for female founders. And for more on that, please do download our latest report, Diversity Dividend, from our website or social channels.
1: Otherwise, we hope you enjoyed this episode of The Month in VC, brought to you by Disrupt Africa, in partnership with Catapult Africa, Kalon Venture Partners, Hlai Sani Capital and ARM Labs Lagos Textiles Accelerator. See you next time. Bye.
0: Bye.